pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much uh, that you have given us your word, Lord. We thank you that you have um, just allowed us to be able to explore things in your word, Lord, that we did not know before, and that we can, our lives could actually be shaped um, by your word, God. We ask that you would please help us this day um, so that um, as I preach, as I preach your word from the book of Jonah, I pray for the hearts that are um, hearing the word, Lord, that you would allow them to receive it. Um, Lord, help us to that, as Sean said, for us to wrestle with some truths, Lord, from your word. But I pray um, for our sanctification. I pray for those who have not yet known you, known you, Lord. I pray that they will know you. Um, we ask you this. Um, I ask you for power in Jesus' name. Amen. How would the world be different if you were God? Would it be different? What would you do differently than the God of the Bible? Who would you kill? Who would you save? Who would you decide to have mercy on? Would you categorize people? Would you have the murderers and the child abusers and the rapists, would you have those people over there? And would you save the people who were more in the business class? Would you save the um, intellectuals? Who would you save? Who would you be merciful to? Who would, um, would, would you be merciful to the one who committed the lesser sins? Well, in a very small way, when we choose who we wish to evangelize to, when we choose who we will preach God's word to, sometimes it reveals who we believe are more savable. Perhaps you believe that the nice businessman, co-worker of yours, who um, lives an otherwise righteous life is worthy of the gospel. But that person who's doing drugs by the train, maybe he's not worthy of the gospel. Well, the story of Jonah reveals a person's attitude towards God's grace to other people. The story of Jonah reveals who Jonah would have saved if he were to be God. And I pray that the story of Jonah would reveal to us in our own hearts things about ourselves that show how prideful we really are. So if you turn your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah, please Jonah chapter 1, and we will begin our sermon series in the book of Jonah called Live Sent. 
That's, a ner- uh, that's our new uh, sermon series, Live Sent. First of all, before we begin, I want to ask the question, who is Jonah? Who's Jonah? In 2 Kings, we see a man by the name of Jonah who lived during the reign of a man named Jeroboam II. The only thing that's important to know is that this king, Jeroboam II, was an evil king. Yet even under this evil king, God was merciful to Israel. He used Jonah to speak peace to the nations during his reign. So Jonah was very familiar with the mercy of God. Jonah and the Israelites, they prospered because God was merciful. Even though they lived under the reign of an evil king, God used Jonah to speak peace to the people so that the people understood mercy. Jonah understood mercy firsthand from God. They knew firsthand what it was like for God to be merciful to them. So Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet who was familiar with the voice of God. Also, before I begin the story, I have one more short introductory note to make. Even though God would use a nation, Israel, in the Old Testament... God would use a specific people. We all know that God used a specific nation in the Old Testament. Who was it? The nation of Israel, right? God used that particular nation. Even though God used that nation, his goal has always been the nations. God's goal had always been the nations. God always wanted every tribe, every culture, every tongue to worship him. This was always the plan of God. This was not plan B, but this was always plan A. But, in contrast, the cultural and ethnic pride that the Israelites inherited did not come from God. But themselves, the Israelites considered the Gentiles to be dogs. They considered the Gentiles to be unclean, dirty. So against this backdrop, against this backdrop, the scene is set up for us to hear the story of Jonah. So let's read. First of all, as we read through the book of Jonah, I want to give subheadings. So the first two verses I want to call Jonah's mission. The first two verses, Jonah's mission. So if you turn your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, Jonah's mission. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up above me, uh, before me. I'm sorry. That's Jonah's mission. Number two, we know. Number two, I sub, sub um, the, the subheading is the disobedience of Jonah. That's found in verse three. 
the disobedience of Jonah. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fear and went into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. That's the second subdivision, the disobedience of Jonah. The third subheading is the consequence of Jonah's disobedience. We all know the consequence of Jonah's disobedience, right? Let's read it. Verses 4 all the way to the end of the chapter, of the, uh, <coughs> of the chapter, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the, mar the mariners um, were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. But Jonah had gone down into the innermost part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. So then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? Um, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, and who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you the, 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 that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the, into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord! Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have, o Lord, have done as, you, as, pleased you, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made a vow. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That was all of chapter one. And in that chapter, we observed three subheadings as we read through that passage. And I will use those subdivisions to outline my sermon for today, okay? The first part of the story that I want to talk about is what? What do we say? The mission of Jonah. What was Jonah's mission? 
What was his mission? We find it in verse 1 and 2. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. When God says arise to Jonah, this seems to be an immediate call. It is a call to take action immediately. Arise. God tells Jonah essentially to call out against the city. Now, when God tells Jonah to call out against the city, Jonah knows exactly what that means. Jonah knows that that means to warn the people, warn the city about God's impending judgment. Warn them that I will destroy them. It is not like God is saying, hey, warn them and tell them that they're just doing wrong. No, no. Jonah understands that what God means when he says to call out against them, he means Look, Ninevites, you are in trouble. God will exact judgment on you soon. Jonah understood that. Jonah knew what that meant. Jonah understood that it meant that God was getting ready to destroy the city. He is calling them to repent. He is calling them to repent. Or else, he will act very soon. Now, we understood this from before. Jonah is is used to speaking to people on behalf of God already. Jonah is already used to speaking to his own people. Jonah is already used to speaking to the Israelites. We saw this in 2 Kings. But this is probably the first time that Jonah has to venture out to actually speak to another nation. We don't see that many passages in the Bible where a prophet actually goes from their nation to go to another nation to speak on behalf of God. So Jonah hears the word of God. God says, call out against them. Why? Why does God say that? He says this because, he says, because their evil has come up before me. These people are wicked. They were evil. And as such, evil came before God and he was ready to judge them. God says that their evil came up before him. Now, this is going to give us, this will help us to ponder at something. We understood earlier that Israelites were God's people, correct? But even though Israelites, the Israelites were God's people, God's nation, in whom God was leading, God was leading his people, even though that is true, it is true, it does not mean that the extent of God's Israel did not go beyond the borders of Israel. You follow? God's ext- the extent of God's is uh, the extent of God's authority reached beyond Israel. The extent of the authority of God reached through the whole nations, so that any person could worship any god that they chose to. But God still had authority over them. 
No matter what God they claimed, God still had authority to tell them, do this, don't do that, or I will judge you. So God had the authority to say, call out against this nation because I will judge them. Now, friends, I know that you have had conversations with unbelievers. I hope you have had conversations with unbelievers. And I just hope that you've tried to persuade them, tried to talk to them about Christianity. I know that many times when I try to talk to people, they say, oh, well, you have your God. I have my God. You can choose to believe whatever you want to believe, but I'll choose to believe whatever I want to believe. I have the right to believe what I, in whatever I want to believe. Your God is very strict. Your God sends people to hell. Your God is not loving. You know, I would like to think of God as a loving being who just sits in the cloud and he loves me the way I am. And it doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, it doesn't matter if you're Buddhist, it doesn't matter what you are, so long as you are sincere in your heart. Have you ever heard that before? And so these people, what they do is they, they create a God in their own minds. They take perhaps some truths of the Bible and they create a God in their own minds. You see, what they fail to understand, though, is that the God that they've created in their minds is not the God that will judge them. The God that they created in their own minds will not have authority over them on the day of judgment. The God of the Bible, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, will have authority over them, and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No matter what God you believe. Yes, you're free. You're free to come up with your own God. You are free to make your own decision. But just know this. You're not free to determine who the true God is. Just know this. That the God that you create in your mind. The God that you fashion in your mind will not be the same God that will judge you on the day of judgment. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to have a sword in his mouth. Basically what that represents, the sword is his word. Are you looking at God's word and are you saying, am I living according to the word of God? Because friends, you are not going to be judged by the God of your imagination and so God being the God of Israel had the right to speak to the Israelites but God also was the God of the nations God's authority reached beyond the scope of Israel and God was able to tell the Ninevites that their sins will be accounted for. And so God tells Jonah, go. Go. Last thing that we're going to see before we move on to the next uh, point. Um, this passage, when God says, go to Jonah, 
This is an act of mercy on God's part. You see that? You see, God could have just simply killed them like that, right? God could have killed the Ninevites as soon as he saw their sins. He could have said, I'm going to strike out against you and I'm just going to punish you. But the fact that God says, look, warn them because I'm coming. The fact that he sent Jonah to say, hey, look, God is coming. God is about to strike out against you. That is an act of mercy. You see, friends, if you are under the assumption that preachers are mean, if you are under the assumption that, that the Bible warning you about hell is mean, if you are under the assumption that whenever someone tells you and approaches you about God, that that person is being mean, I'm telling you, that is, the act, that is an act of mercy. God is perhaps using that person to say, look, turn from your sins, come to Jesus Christ, come to know who I am before your day is up. And so this is an act of mercy on God's part. This is your last chance to act. This is your last chance to, to um, repent before I act. Number two, the second part is the disobedience of Jonah. And so God speaks. He tells Jonah, he says, he says Jonah, I want you to do something. You wanna, I want you to go to the Ninevites. And um, when Jonah hears the voice of God, instead of yielding to his voice, instead of obeying him, what does he do? It says that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now, just to give you an idea, Tarshish was about 3,000 miles away from Nineveh. He was going literally the opposite direction. This was not a mere detour that Jonah was taking. He was determined, and it says he was determined to flee from the presence of God. That's what the passage says. He was trying to go as far away as possible from the call of God. And so he goes to a place called Joppa in order to catch the next ship going to Tarshish. Make no mistake about it. Jonah is disobeying God. He clearly knows, he clearly knew what he was supposed to do, but he was being disobedient by going the opposite direction. And we will see this later on, that the reason why Jonah runs away is because Jonah does not want Nineveh to experience repentance and salvation like the Israelites. If Jonah warns them, then there's a possibility that they might experience salvation. He could not bear the thought of these people experiencing salvation. So he finds a ship going to Tarshish. He pays the fear and he goes on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord you see, Jonah wanted to play the role of God. He thought he knew best who deserved salvation and who didn't. He already experienced the mercy of God under King Jeroboam II. God had every right to kill his people during that time. And during that time, God spoke to Jonah to speak peace to the people in 2 Kings. Namely, that they will continue to inherit more land. 
So Jonah did not have a problem with mercy and grace when when it applied to himself and the Israelites. Jonah did not have a problem with mercy and grace when it applied to himself and the Israelites. Jonah did not have a problem with God's mercy and grace when it applied to himself and the Israelites. But for that mercy to be extended to the other nations, Jonah had a problem with that. He could not bear the thought of grace being dispelled to others. I wonder if that's you today, my friends. I wonder if this is you, if there are a particular group of people in your mind that is unreachable. These people can't get saved. These people are evil. These people are wicked. See, when we pick and choose who we want to evangelize to, you're doing exactly what Jonah is doing. You cannot choose who your neighbors are, my friends. They will be there, whether you like it or not. So let's look at number three, the consequence of Jonah's disobedience. The consequence of Jonah's disobedience. What is the consequence of Jonah's disobedience? See, the passage says that Jonah disobeys and he finds a, a ship going to Tarshish. He takes that, sh- that, that um, ship and immediately we see the consequence of his disobedience. Let's see it. Verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. See, as this passage says, that there was a great storm, a powerful storm, so big and so great that it threatened to break the boat. They are in the middle of the sea, and if this boat breaks, they will all drown to death. Each person on his ship cried out to their own God. And while they're praying to their own God, they realize, they realize that their crying out was doing nothing for them. The wind was still blowing hard in the ship. The, the boat was, was threatening to break. So the p- people were understandably afraid. And they had to take a different course of action. So what do they do? They start, they take cargo that was in the ship and they start throwing it in the sea to try to see if it makes, makes it, and, um, to start, try to see if it will make the ship lighter. And then they find Jonah sleeping. They're like, Jonah, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping for? Well, I don't, I don't understand. Why are you sleeping? Um, there's a great storm here. Why would you sleep? Wake up. Call out to your God. It's not like they believed in God of the Bible, but they're saying, hey, look, we called out to our God. Maybe your God might be able to make this thing work. Call out to your God. See, and now the people finally come to a place where they realize that this storm is so radical. This storm is so crazy. This storm is so crazy that it has to be supernatural. There is a divine being behind this. That maybe this divine being is mad at one of us. 
Something strange is happening here. And to solve this problem, they try to figure out who God is mad at. And so they cast lots. And the lot picks out Jonah. And they ask him, who are you? And where do you come from? Then Jonah, of course, he responds. He tells them who he was. He tells them that he serves God. And if they want to be rescued from the storm, they will have to hurl him over the boat into the sea. And so Jonah understood something. That either he will die on his own or everyone will die on the ship. See, Jonah, when he tells the people to throw him across or over the board, Jonah expected to die. Jonah was, ex- was willing to accept the responsibility. Jonah understood either he and the rest of the crew die or he himself could die. But the the people, they tried to go against that. They tried to go against Jonah's counsel. Verse 13 says that the men, instead of of heeding Jonah's advice to throw him out, um, it says that they rode hard to get back to the dry land. But the harder they tried, the the greater the storm grew. They didn't want to kill a prophet of God because, I mean, if God was such a terrifying God that he sent that kind of storm, what would happen if they threw that prophet? What would happen if they killed that prophet? They were very afraid. But eventually they did it, though reluctantly. And when Jonah was thrown over, the wind and the sea was calm again. These men in the ship ended up worshiping God because of this episode. And then when Jonah was thrown into the sea, God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. And the fish was big enough to swallow him. And then Jonah stayed in there three days, three nights. So we see the consequence of Jonah's disobedience. Jonah was going nowhere fast, was he? What was the consequence of Jonah's disobedience from all of the, what, that, that, everything that we've just read just now. What was God's reaction to Jonah? Was it punishment? What was God's reaction to Jonah's disobedience? Was it punishment? Was it the wrath of God? I don't think so. I don't think that God was like, I'm going to get Jonah back. I'm going to punish him with this great wind and this great storm. No, what God is doing is he is relentlessly pursuing Jonah. God is pursuing Jonah at all costs. And I want to call it relentless salvation or relentless mercy. When he's not stopping, he is not stopping, he is going after Jonah. We're going to see and we're going to understand relentless salvation. But you, you, you say, but Jonah was clearly being punished from God because of, all, of, of his disobedience. Maybe it was the wrath of God that sent all that storm after Jonah. You see, I don't see God's anger in this passage. I don't see him punishing Jonah. All I see is a God who is relentless in his love. He is relentless in saving Jonah from destroying himself. How do we see this? Well, first of all, the passage says that Jonah flees. 
Jonah tries to flee away from the presence of God. Now, how many people would agree that going away from the presence of God is a good thing? Anybody? Nobody. Jonah's trying to flee, the passage says, away from the presence of God. Now, one of the ways that God, one of the things that God could have done is God could have said, okay, leave away from me. Get away from me. Go away from me. I don't need you anyways. I have many other prophets that I can use. But the fact that God actually pursues Jonah, the, the fact that God actually stops Jonah in his tracks tells me something about God, that God is relentless in loving Jonah. God is relentless in pursuing Jonah. He could have easily allowed him to flee. See, God loves Jonah too much to allow him to flee from his presence. See, by not allowing Jonah to go his own way is not wrath, but it is love. It is mercy. See, in the book of Romans, if you've ever read the, through the book of Romans, the Bible says in Romans that a lot of people are left to their own devices, and that is a sign of God's wrath. You see, if you see people and you see a nation and you see people just rebelling against God and God's not pursuing them, you see that they're going towards destruction and towards destruction. And God's like, okay, I'm going to let you do it. I'm warning you that doing it is going, to, is going to destroy you. But the fact that God says do it is a sign of God's wrath on that person. The fact, the, the, the fact that God is allowing you to do whatever you wish to do, the fact that God is allowing you to sin as much as you wish to sin, and you continue to go in that direction, it might be God's sign of wrath. See, the greatest thing that we all need is God's voice, God's warning us. We all need God to tell us, no, no. But if we're afraid of that voice, no, my friends, that is not mercy. Number two, we also see that God does not kill Jonah in the boat. You say, but God's anger was seen when he hurled the wind and the sea and the storm after Jonah. But, 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 you, but realize this, that, jo that the, the passage says that the ship almost broke. But God allowed the ship to continue to remain intact and not break. God did send a lot of terror to the people, but he did that in order to pursue Jonah. And we see God's mercy also by allowing the fish to swallow him. You see, when, when they threw Jonah across the sea, overboard, when I was younger, I used to think, oh, wow, God made that fish eat, eat him. Wow, man, God, is, God doesn't play. But that was another act of mercy on God's part. For Jonah could have drowned, but being in the belly of the fish allowed him to survive. It preserved his life. And we're going to see that um, hopefully next week when Jonah prays to God and thanks him for allowing that fish to swallow him instead of drowning. My friends, what a wonderful, relentless Savior. What a wonderful, 
relentless Savior. He saved Jonah from destroying himself. God knows the best place that Jonah needs to be is with him in his presence following his call. Now what can we make of this passage? What can we learn from this whole chapter? We said a lot of things. What can we learn from this chapter? Number one, God is relentlessly merciful. Number one, God is relentlessly merciful. If you are a Christian today, my friend, God had relentlessly pursued you. All things in your life, come. Um, maybe there are certain things in your life that you're like, man, I don't know why this happened in my life. I wish that this thing did not happen in my life. Those things might have contributed to your conversion. Those things might have contributed to your sanctification. God is relentless in pursuing his people. Even though his people try to turn away, even though his people try at many times to turn away from God's call, God is very relentless in pursuing us. Let's praise God for that. Let's praise God that we serve a God who doesn't simply leave us to our own devices. Let's praise God for always and constantly pursuing us, who is always on mission. You see, God wasn't only merciful to Jonah, he was merciful to the Ninevites by warning them. He said, Jonah, warn these people that I'm coming. Okay? If I was king and I told Lorenzo, Lorenzo, I'm going to destroy this next, next nation. Go warn them. That is an act of mercy on my part. See, I could have easily just snuck up on them and killed them. Take, I mean, obviously, if I was powerful enough to do so, I would. But God telling Jonah, hey, look, go to the people, warn them, was an act of kindness and an act of mercy. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you if you are here today and you have never understood what Christianity is about? Maybe every time you hear someone open up the Bible, maybe you think that person is mean. Maybe every time you hear a preacher preach to you, maybe you feel like that preacher is so mean. Why is that preacher talking to me about hell? Why is that preacher warning me? Why is that preacher telling me about things about death? Because the preacher knows that it is inevitable. And that is the most gracious thing that God is doing for you. Perhaps God is using that preacher. Perhaps God is using me to warn you about the impending judgment to come. That is an act of kindness. That is an act of mercy on God's, on God's part. It is not God being mean. You see, God could have easily killed us from the first time we've sinned. God could have easily murdered us from the first sin that we committed. But God was so merciful to us. And God is merciful to you. My friends, on the day of judgment, the meanest preachers would look like your best friend. 
You would have said that meanest preacher, the preacher that preached to you the hardest, you would, have, you would look at him in heaven and you would say, you didn't preach to me hard enough. You warned me about hell, but you didn't warn me enough. That's what you would say to the preacher that was the harshest. My friends, Jesus Christ, if you don't understand this yet, Jesus Christ is the one whom you need to trust. If you've never understood this before, Jesus Christ, later on um, in the Gospels, Jesus Christ is going to say, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man is going to be in the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus Christ is the one. He is, was the perfect son. He was the one who committed no sin. You see, Jonah was fleeing away from the presence of God. Jesus Christ was always in the presence of God. You see, you see, Jonah was disobeying the call of God, but Jesus Christ obeyed the call of God. So why would Jesus Christ be on the belly of the earth for three days and three nights? Well, the reason why is because you and I have disobeyed God. The reason why is because Jesus Christ was simply taking our place. And Jesus Christ took on our sins. So that if you look to Christ, if you trust in Christ, your sins are paid for completely. Nothing that you need to do, no work that you need to, 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 to do. You don't need to have like a workout plan to say, okay, I'm going to try to defeat this sin in X amount of days. No, you are free if you trust in Jesus Christ. And if you do trust in Jesus Christ, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a simple question. Has God given you a call? Have you received a call in your life? And if you are a Christian, the answer is yes. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes... Christians, well-meaning Christians believe that evangelism is for those, for the really spiritual Christians. But that's not for me. My friends, are you obeying the call of God? It is as if God is speaking to you right now. Why? Because God's word is God's the Bible is God's word. And if he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that's God speaking to you. You don't need to hear an audible voice. That's God speaking to you. And so you have a choice. You have a decision to make. Either you're going to be obedient to the call of God or you're not. I want you to take this time to meditate on this passage. I want you to take this time to think about your life, to reflect on your life and ask yourself, number one, am I a Christian? Have I come to the place where I have trusted in Christ and trusted him completely? And then number two, if I am a Christian, am I making disciples? Either you are not a Christian or you're a Christian make, making disciples. Which one are you? I don't mean to be harsh in saying that. 
I know that there are times where we don't make disciples, where we're not evangelizing. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not questioning your salvation. That's, that's not what I'm doing. But there are only two categories that God recognizes. Those who are not Christians and those who are Christians responding to his call to go. Let's pray.